I'm so glad that we're all able to come here together tonight and to worship God and to fellowship with one another. It's uh, good to be with brethren that care about the Lord, and I'm, I'm thankful that we're all able to be here tonight. Now, I uh, wanted to make mention of something uh, before we get started, and that is uh, uh, the Friends and Family Day coming up. We mentioned it this morning. It's November 15th, and uh, what, you know, really, we understand that you know, Friends and Family Day, that's, that's just a, a special day that we can invite people, but, you know, really every day can be Friends and Family Day. You know, you can invite someone all the time. And uh, while we might make a concerted effort on a certain day uh, for us all to do it uh, and to maybe have an, an increased amount of visitors, um, you know, this is something we can be doing all the time. And uh, that's something I think we need to do. Now, concerning Friends and Family Day, this is uh, the thought process, is that we're going to invite our friends and family, uh, and namely... Uh, those who aren't Christians, and we're going to have sermons and a class based around uh, the thought of things people would need to know in order to become a Christian, and just uh, things like that. So, you know, you, you want, if you want your friends and family uh, to become Christians, then, you know, this is going to be a good opportunity for you. It's, uh, you know, uh, something like this really is one of those things that uh, it's non-threatening. You know, you can you can invite somebody and, and you know, you can get people to uh, to go in with you on that just about any time. So, you know, this is something we all need to, to do, uh, something that is going to be beneficial for the congregation here. And uh, so all of us uh, need to participate in this as, as best we can. And not only does that mean bring ourselves, uh, but, you know, if you've got some friends and family that uh, have either not obeyed the gospel or... Uh, have fallen away, this is a good opportunity uh, to try to get them back uh, back in the church or uh, get them to become Christians. And so let's, um, let's, let's work together on this and let's figure out uh, what we can do. And if you have any other ideas that kind of go along these lines, especially concerning evangelism, tell the elders. You know, the elders will be glad uh, to listen to what you got to say and uh, are, are very open to those kind of suggestions. So please, uh, please uh, do that. Yeah, I want to continue this thought that we had this morning. And, and the idea was, you know, if I were the devil, you know, what, what is it that we would do, you know, if we were the devil at this moment? You know, it, what is it that the devil would want us to do? So we, we talked about that this morning. And that was just kind of a generality, of course, in, in uh, society, you know, what, what we would want to happen if we were the devil. But we'll be more specific tonight. We're going to follow that same thought process. And this is, you know, if I were the devil, you know, part two, basically. You know, what would I do to destroy this congregation? If I were the devil and I wanted to destroy this congregation, what are the things that I would do in order to destroy it? What are the things that I would come up with in order to just kill the membership here in a spiritual fashion? What is it that I would do if I wanted to destroy this congregation? Let's think about those things tonight. The first thing I would do is this. This is an important one. 
I would undermine the trust and respect for our elders. Yeah, if I were the devil, that's exactly what I'd want to do. You want to destroy this congregation? Then, you know, forget what the elders have to say. You know, forget that. You know, in Matthew 12, verse 25, a house divided cannot stand. In 1 Peter you know, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, it says, The elders among you I exhort, who am a fellow elder and witnesses of sufferings of Christ, who am also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Tend the flock of God which is among you, exercising the oversight, not of constraint, but willingly, according to the will of God, nor yet for filthy lucre, but of ready mind, neither as lording it over the charge allotted to you, but making yourselves an ensample to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall be manifested, ye shall receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. So you think about that passage. You know, the elders have a great charge you know, for them. You know, I'll tell you what. Uh, at this point in my life, I know I'm not ready to be an elder. I'm not qualified. But I tell you what, that's, that's, a, big, that's a big responsibility. And I'm thankful for the men who do that. And, you know, it's, it is a... It's an honor to be an elder, but it is also a position that that really commands respect. And it's a position where, well, you know, we we uh, we don't always know what's going on with everybody. And there's been times I know in congregations, and you know, I, working with the congregation as a preacher, sometimes I've been, you know, given privileged information before. And I remember working with one congregation, and, and I was given privileged information, and, and some of the brethren are going, well, why are the elders making this decision? And all I wanted to do was just say, well, if you knew this, <laughs> then you wouldn't say that. We just have to trust them. We have to trust the decisions that they make. You know, why are elders elders? Elders are elders because they have already demonstrated godly qualities. And so, therefore, we need to trust them. In Hebrews 13 and verse 17 it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit to them, for they watch in behalf of your souls, as they that shall give account, that they may do this with joy and not with grief, for this were unprofitable for you. So the elders have a big responsibility. They are going to answer for all of us. You know, uh, sometimes I can have enough anxiety over the things I have to deal with. But when you have a congregation of, I guess, a little over 100, and you've got some men that are looking out for your souls, that's a big deal. And that can cause a lot of anxiety. And so we need to give them the respect that they deserve. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 19, it says, Against an elder receive not an accusation except at the mouth of two or three witnesses. So if you think anything against the elders, you need to make sure that you back that up. And when you're going to an elder, you can't go by two or three witnesses. 
If you if you're going to do that, you've got to. If you're going to call out the elders, you you better be prepared. In James four eleven, it says, "Speak not one against another, brethren. He that speaketh against a brother, or judgeth his brother, speaketh against the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judgest the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge." Now, if I were the devil. I would make sure to destroy the leadership of this congregation. I would want to undermine and disrespect the elders of this congregation as much as I possibly could. That's what I'd do if I were the devil. Now, if I were the devil, number two, I would put one's own interests above that of the church. Now, what does that sound like to you? Huh? It sounds like selfishness. Yeah, if, if I were the devil, I would want selfishness to prevail. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this. Doing nothing through faction or through vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, counting other better than himself, not looking each to, uh, to, of you to his own things, but each of you also to the things of others. You know, the Bible teaches that we are to humble ourselves, that we are to think of others better than ourselves. Now, that, that's kind of a problem in today's society, isn't it? You know, the, the, the idea of, hey, everybody look at what I can do. Look at, look at me. You know, this, this is a constant problem. And you know what? I think sometimes we look at uh, the realm of sports or Hollywood or whatever, and we see people like that. And we, we openly would say, oh, yeah, we don't want to be like that. You know, see, see what sort of a horrible example they are? You know, we don't, we don't want to act like that. We don't want to be like them. And yet we'll turn around. And we'll do the same thing. Trying to bring glory upon ourselves. Trying to make ourselves uh, puffed up. But James 4 and verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. Now it's, it's not our place to lift ourselves up. We need to let the Lord do that. And oh, guess what? Along with that, the Lord knows exactly how much of that that you can take before it starts going to your head. The Lord knows how much that you can be lifted up before it becomes a problem. The Lord knows how much encouragement you need. The Lord knows all these things. And so we must trust in the Lord. I was reading an article the other day, and one of the things that was being said is there was a young preacher who had taken his his father's sermons and had was would just picked out uh, ten different sermons and decided that he was going to preach those sermons throughout the year. and And his father had passed away, and this was kind of a way that he was going to honor his father. And so he's going through, and his his father had a completely different preaching style than he did. I mean, he 
He, uh, he preached expository sermons mainly, and his father ended up preaching more topical sermons. And, you know, and there's all these differences that they had, uh, but he was naming off some of the things that he noticed about his father's sermons when he was going through and picking out different sermons. And one of the things that have been uh, people have criticized over the last few years, really, uh, last I guess uh, 10 years or so, I've heard more criticism over over those old preachers. Man, those old preachers, they didn't really know what they were doing. And now you hear that all the time. And I don't agree with that statement at all. Matter of fact, uh, I think some of these newer preachers are not very good. They're not sticking to the Word of God. They don't have their hearts in the right places. But those older preachers, they did. Because it was about the Word of God. It wasn't about the preacher. It was about the Word of God. And so this, this preacher in this article, he was saying, you know, the, the criticism uh, is, is unjust. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. That criticism is very unjust towards the older, older preachers. You know, they've done what is right. That's, guess what? That's the reason why we're here. It's because there were people preaching before us young guys came along. Oh, you know, I, brethren, may it never be said of a congregation of any individual in congregation, that the church suffered because of an individual's pride or selfishness. See, the work of the church, we, we say that a lot. You know, this is the work of the church, right? You know, let's, let's talk about the work of the church. Work of church is benevolence. Work of church is evangelism. Work of church is this or that. You know, we talk about the work of the church, and when we think about that, grammatically speaking, what are we saying? You know, this is the work that belongs to the church, but it's not the work that belongs to the church, is it? It's the work that belongs to God. Now, when we think about it in those terms, we're just working for the Lord. When we think about it in those other terms, it, it possibly could turn into, well, look at the things that we've done. But see, it's not about us. It's about the Lord. And when we lose sight of that, we're losing sight of the main thing. Brethren, if I were the devil and I wanted to destroy this congregation, I would make sure that selfishness prevailed. That people were only thinking about themselves. And that, you know, a person would put their interest above that of the church and that of the Lord. You know, if I were the devil, I would sprinkle within the church people who are living immoral lives. And I, I add to that. And the church not doing anything about it. Uh, in Joshua chapter 7, you know, that we, we see this, uh, the idea of, you know, there's sin in the camp. You know, what happens? They, they go out to Ai, and there's this little bitty city. And not, oh, let's, just, let's just send a little bit of people out there. We don't even need to send the whole army. They didn't ask God, of course. They didn't ask God about this. If they had, then God could have said, well, wait a second. Before you do that, they're sending the camp. But see, what happens is, you know, somebody had stolen some things, right? And they've hidden them in their camp, and... 
Well, they go off to fight. And what happens? They start getting killed. And this is not going the way that the previous battle had gone. And they're thinking, well, what are we going to do now? And so they retreat. And, they, and then Joshua's a little upset, right? And he goes to God and God says, hey, uh, there's sin in the camp. You need to get rid of that. Get rid of that sin in the camp and then you'll be successful. Immorality will kill a congregation. You know, from from my understanding, it, it does it in at least three different ways. Number one is this. It discourages the righteous. When people see immorality in a congregation, the righteous become discouraged. You think about uh, Elijah and Jeremiah, both prophesying and seeing all these horrible things and uh, of course, Jeremiah, especially, what do we call him? You know, he's, he's the weeping prophet. You know, he was very upset. He was upset about the world around Elijah, you know, of course, you know, what do we know about him? Of course, one time he's going and hiding in a cave and kind of poor old pitiful me. I'm the only one out here preaching. And, you know, God tells him, get on up. There are other people out there. You're not the only one. Go and do what I've told you to do. So it it discourages the righteous. Another thing that immorality in a congregation does is it defiles the weak. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? We know, we talked about this more in Bible class, but for those of you who weren't here, you know... When you have sin in a congregation, it's like leaven. Leaven, you know, that you use in in bread making, you you only have to put a little bit in, and it will have that leavening property throughout that dough. And if you want to use uh, more dough, but you need some more leaven, all you have to do is pinch off a little piece of that dough and stick it in. It leavens that dough as well. So we understand How potent it is. But when you see immorality in a congregation, it can destroy it by spreading. And it defiles the weak, and it defiles the weak in this sense. Think about this, Romans 14. Romans 14 and verse 13. It says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge ye this rather, that no man put a stumbling block in his brother's way, or an occasion of falling. Now, talking to some preachers before, and, and one preacher had mentioned, you know, we, we have uh, some good evangelism going on. The only problem is, when we baptize them in the Christ, they have to be a part of our congregation. And, you know, of course, that sounds, it sounds well, what, what, what's so bad about that? And he says, well, you don't know our congregation. You know, we, we've got a lot of weak Christians. And, and you've got people coming in that they need somebody stronger around them. And all of a sudden, you're teaching them what's right and what they need to do. And they're looking around going, well, wait a second. Brother so-and-so is doing exactly that. The preacher's saying not to, but brother so-and-so is doing it. And so what do they do? 
they, they take advantage of that situation. They do whatever brother so-and-so is doing. Or they use that as an excuse to do whatever they want to do. Brethren, immorality in a congregation is a stumbling block to those who have not yet reached a position in, in their life that they're strong enough to overcome whatever sin they have to deal with. Another thing that, that immorality does within a congregation is it disgusts the unbeliever. If you have somebody that you would like to bring to Christ and they know somebody within the congregation that is not living right, what's going to happen? Uh, I've heard of people going, well, you know, I'd go there, but you know that guy? Name off some brother or sister's name. and uh, They go there and they're just a hypocrite. Oh, why do you say that? Well, because they're doing this, 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 and this. And you're thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't heard that. Brethren, immorality will disgust the unbeliever. You want to try to bring someone to Christ that is disgusted by immorality going on within the congregation? You're not going to be successful. You're just not. That's why these things have to be dealt with. Now, if I were the devil, and this one's fairly common, I think probably one of the most common things that we talk about. But if I were the devil, and I wanted to destroy this congregation, I would advocate compromise. Now, I want to find this, because, you know, see, there are things in life that it is well and good for us to compromise. Talking about, you know, the the color of the carpet, you know, when you change color in carpet in some congregations, you've killed somebody, you know. That is is what has happened. You know, well, my uncle put this carpet in here, and you're changing that. You're changing his good work. You know, they get upset about that. And it's not about uncle. It's about, you know, all the nastiness that's on that carpet and you just want to change it. You know, that, that's all it is. There's nothing about your uncle in that carpet. You know, and so, you know, people get upset uh, about those things. And so, you know, sometimes when it comes to things like that, it might be well and good to compromise. If it's too big of a problem, then guess what? Keep the old nasty carpet. You know, until until a, a day when people are okay with it. So that might be okay to compromise. You know what? Another thing where compromise is okay concerning matters of the church. Maybe it is that, that you know, you think that if we did this one thing, this one uh, event or this one uh, program or something that... that the congregation would benefit from it greatly. And so you figure all this stuff out, and then you, you give it to the elders or you, you present it to somebody else, and they, and they want to tweak it. You know, it's one thing to get upset about that, but, you know, brethren, that's an, an instance when compromise is good. Now, what we don't want to compromise in is the Word of God. Never compromise the word of God. You know, if I were 
the devil. I would advocate all sorts of compromise. I would, I would want us to proceed under such premises as these. You know, what's the big deal? You know, what's the big deal? Come on. We can allow that. I don't see anything wrong with that. I've heard that one a lot. I don't see anything wrong with it. Now, sometimes that's an okay statement, but sometimes I don't see anything wrong with it means I haven't studied it a lick, and so I'm just saying that I don't see anything wrong with it. But just because we don't see anything wrong with it doesn't make it right. It's just that we don't understand why it could be wrong. You know, I don't, I don't, what's the big deal? You know, let's, let's not worry about that. Or, or this one. What's so bad about this? You know, what's so bad about doing this or that? Or, or this last one, which I've, I've heard more often in the church than I'd like to admit. Do you really think that God will send us to hell for something like that? You know, if I were the devil, I would want those kind of statements to be prevalent within the congregation. You know, I I wouldn't want us to know the passages like John 8.32, that the truth makes us free. Or 2 John 9-11, through that we must abide in the doctrine of Christ. That is live. We are living in the doctrine of Christ. Or 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, that we are not to go beyond that which is written. Brethren, we need to do some self-examining and make sure that we are not working as an agent of the devil. You know, when we're doing that, you know, we don't have to sign some sort of contract and say, well, you know, all right, devil, I've got this thing written out. I'm going to be your agent. I'm going to do exactly what you want. No, that's not how it works, right? You just start doing it. We need to make sure and examine ourselves to make sure we're not doing these things. Make sure that we're in the right. I'm going to say this. I know that that I'm new here. And I think that this is a very important statement to make. You know, when, when I, I'm up here preaching, I'm preaching for me as well, so I don't ever want you to think, well, I, you know, he's preaching right at me. That, that was not my intention ever. My intention is to preach the Word of God, and when I'm studying, I... I'm, I'm going to do a lot of repentance myself. So this is as much for me as it is for anybody else. But also, when we hear lessons from the Word of God, especially one like tonight, what should be going through my mind should be, how does this apply to me? What should not be going through my mind while a sermon is being preached is, you know, so-and-so needs to hear this sermon. We need to be thinking about ourselves. You know, it's fine for us to think, you know, somebody needs to hear this sermon. And maybe even encourage them to to listen to this sermon. But if we are truly going to self-examine ourselves, 
the first thing we have to do is listen for ourselves. We don't listen for others. We're listening for ourselves because the last time I checked, I wanted to go to heaven. And last time I checked, you, you couldn't get me there. I have to do it. You can encourage me. You can do those things. But I have to do it on my own. I have to work out my own salvation. And that is true for every individual here today. So brethren, as, as we end our thoughts here, you know, if I were the devil, I would want to destroy God's handiwork. And if I were the devil, I'd look at this congregation and I'd start thinking, you know, how is it that I could destroy this congregation? And I would go through and I'd do exactly the things that we've mentioned here tonight. And it may be, it may be that there's something here in this sermon tonight that is applicable to you. And if it is, you have an opportunity to repent. Now, a lot of this stuff's going to be private. You know, and so you can, you can repent where you are. You can make things right with God right now. Some other things, you know, come up and they're more public. And, and the, the reach of these things could be uh, far beyond our scope of ever going back and, and, and telling everybody individually. And that being the case, that's why public repentance is, is good. You know, because we, we can all see it at once. That's, that's, that's where that makes sense. Maybe there's someone here tonight that has not yet become a Christian. And you'd like to do that tonight. And so if there's anybody here that needs to respond to the invitation, please come as we stand and as we sing. Your Savior is waiting to give you a place in His sanctified throne. Why not, why not, why not come to Him now? Why not, why not, why not come to Him now? What do you hope, dear brother, to gain by a further delay? There's no one to save you but Jesus there's no other way but His way. Why not, why not, why not come to Him now? Why not, why not, why not come to Him now? Do you not feel, dear brother, His Spirit now striving within? Oh, why not accept his salvation and throw off thy burden of sin? Why not, why not, why not come to him now? Why not, why not, why not come to him now? Why do you wait, dear brother? The harvest is passing away. 
Your Savior is longing to bless you. There's danger and death and delay. Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Please be seated. Before the Lord's Supper, let's sing 615, 615. That dreadful night before his death, the Lamb for sinners slain did almost with his dying breath this solemn feast ordain to keep the feast, Lord, we have met. And to remember thee, help each redeemed one to repeat, for me he died for me. As we uh, come before the Lord's table again tonight, we offer this privilege for those that uh, have not been able to be about the Lord's table today. And as soon as the prayer is said, if you'll raise your hand, uh, we will serve you. But we need to keep in mind why we do this each and every Wednesday, uh, Sunday morning. God... Uh, sent his son here to set the example for us. He accepted that example. He also accepted the fact that he knew he had to make the sacrifice to going to the cross for us so that we could have eternal life with him. And we all, although we may not be partaking of the bread and the cup tonight, we all need to be in one heart and mind with Christ our Lord going to the cross for us. Shall we have a prayer for the bread, please? Heavenly Father, as we offer the bread and as the bread is accepted, let's reflect on the time and the reasons for that. All our examples are given to us by Christ and the teachings of the Bible and from our Heavenly Father. At this time, as we offer this, uh, we do so in Christ's name. Amen.
We'll now have a prayer for the cup, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the many blessings you've given to us. And thank you for this beautiful day that we have to come together and worship you. And please let our minds go back to the cross with your son dying for our sins. And please bless the cup as we partake of it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. The offering plate will be left here for your convenience. God also asks us to give of our means as we have been blessed. And he asks for us to do this each and every Sunday also. So if uh, you have opportunity and need, this will be left here for your convenience. Thank you. Let's close this evening with 707. 707. Let's be standing for the song and uh, the closing prayer. Let's try to sing the verse 2 and verse 3. To Christ be loyal and be true, he needs brave volunteers. To stand against the powers of sin, moved not by frowns or fears. To Christ the Lord be true, for He will go with you and help you all your conflicts through. To Christ the Lord be true. To Christ be loyal and be true, in noble service prove. Your faith and your fidelity, the fervor of your love. To Christ the Lord be true, for he will go with you. Conflicts through to Christ the Lord be true. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for the many gifts, many blessings we've been given. 
Lord, thank you for the lessons presented today and those that have prepared prepared them. Help us to be attentive, to study these, to make application in our lives throughout the week. Lord, help us to be supportive of others and to encourage others to attend and to share in the good news. Lord, uh, please keep your hand over us. Help us to do all things in a manner pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good.